You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jarrett Smith. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm Jarrett Smith. Each episode is my job to engage with some of the brightest minds in higher education and the broader world of marketing to bring you actionable insights you can use to level up your marketing and enrollment efforts. This is the third installment in our VP Summer Series, a podcast mini-series focusing on the unique challenges facing senior enrollment and marketing leaders. In this episode, we'll be discussing how senior leaders can build strong, collaborative relationships with faculty, coaches, and staff. Joining us in the conversation is Brad Pochard, AVP for Enrollment and Dean of Admissions at Furman University. We'll also be joined by Echo Delta's own Laura Martin-Fedich, who's my co-host for the VP Summer Series. We begin by talking about the role of transparency in building trust, and Brad shares some of the specific types of information he shared with faculty to inspire greater academic involvement in student recruitment. Then we discuss how Brad has worked with colleagues in athletics to align their efforts with the institution's broader recruitment goals, and Brad outlines some of the key differences between D1 and D3 schools when it comes to athletics' impact on enrollment. Finally, we explore some of the ways Brad and his colleagues have built a culture of mutual support and appreciation, and some of the key lessons he learned from his father, who spent 41 years in admissions and financial aid. Laura and I really enjoyed learning from Brad, and this episode is full of great advice for any leader looking to strengthen their professional relationships. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Brad Pochard. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Very happy to be with you all today. Awesome. I I think this is going to be a a great topic. Before we jump into that great conversation, I'm wondering if you could just give us a a quick snapshot of your professional background and the work you do at Furman. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And again, thank you uh, very much for having me. It's an honor to be with you guys today. Um, uh, My name is Brad Pochard. I serve as AVP for Enrollment and Dean of Admissions at Furman University. Um, I have been with Furman since 2008, so going into year 13, which is uh, hard to believe. Some of it feels like it has gone uh, in a blink of an eye, and other parts feel like maybe it's been a little bit longer than that. But um, uh, prior to my arrival at Furman, I was uh, working at my alma mater, which is Wittenberg University up in Springfield, Ohio. I graduated from there and um, began work in their admissions office pretty much right after graduation. Um, had the opportunity to work for them uh, for about seven years and transitioned down here um, as director of admissions in the fall of 08. Um, and over the course of these 13 years here, I've been able to take on some additional responsibility um, in the office. And um, it's just been wonderful. It's been great. I've uh, adapted to the South. Um, I love the people, love the weather. Um, so it's been a, a great transition and a wonderful profession to be in. I'm wondering if you could just kind of start off by I guess paint the picture for us a little bit. Why is getting relationships right with folks in other areas of your school outside of your sort of functional area so so important? And I guess the other, the flip side of that is what's the what's the cost of getting those relationships wrong for? Yeah, and, and those are a couple of big questions. And, and let me start with the first one about um, you know the the way in which we are able to kind of establish partnership partnerships and develop um, you know those partnerships across campus as we go through this. Um, during my time at Wittenberg and, and even at Furman, um, people hear me say all the time that it takes a campus to recruit, retain, and, and graduate a student. Um, so first and foremost, you, you can't do 
admissions work solely within admissions. Um, if, if, if you want to be perennially successful, you need to establish those partnerships outside of your office, where the admissions office then is really the conduit um, to the marketplace, to the prospective students, whoever we may be working with at the time, um, to just simply relay that information and develop that rapport and develop that, that, that trust. Um, I really kind of believe that, and that's really at the core of, of how we operate. Um, that, in addition to an internal kind of strategy and philosophy, that imitation is the best form of flattery. Um, we strive to have wonderful um, practices, protocols, um, strategies in place um, where we can exude confidence internally, but also then relay that confidence to our, to our prospective students, to our applicant pool. When you have confidence in your process, it, it makes you, um, it gives you the ability to be confident and to be transparent across campus. So um, those are two kind of kind of foundational things that are important uh, for me as I've, as I've gone through and, and this office has gone through establishing those trust and relationships across campus. When you have those two things, it gives you the ability to go and be transparent with your constituents, people that you're working with. Um, it's obvious on campus, you know, in higher education, um, faculty play a big role. Um, and with, with faculty governance and tenure, um, that's sometimes a game changer in, in how you operate and, and some of the things that you need to accomplish and, and the information that you need to relay. Uh, you, of course, then have your staff on campus that have a particular buy-in um, that some tend to forget a little bit um, as far as what staff can do to support you through this process. You have your alumni, your current students. Um, so all of those constitu constituents are important um, in, in the work that we do. Um, so for, for us and in my approach tends to be a whole lot of transparency, um, a whole lot of sharing information. Um, when you do that, it does make you a little vulnerable. Um, it does open you up for critique. Um, and, and, and that's okay, especially if you have those two foundational aspects in place. If you're, if you're, if you're confident in your process, um, and you're, you are able to establish that trust across your campus, um, you know, you are able to, to open up, open up and, 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 and be transparent in, in how we do our work. So I would say, you know, that's kind of the process and there's different strategies and approaches that you can take depending on who you're speaking with, whether that be development, whether that be your board, whether that be your faculty, your admissions committee, there's different approaches that, that, I've, that I've learned that, um, that might be useful to, to discuss at some point. You know, you, you mentioned transparency. I think that's an interesting one to pursue for a minute. I think uh, transparency, when we hear that word, we think, oh, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, we, we want transparency. But um, how do you, on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you make that happen? What are some ways that that transparency plays out in sort of concrete terms, I think is what I'm getting at. Yeah, let me, let me answer that in two ways. One, maybe transparency on a daily basis with the staff, the, the the admissions and financial aid staff, that 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 is going to be much more on a daily basis. And then I'll give you an example, maybe with faculty or the admissions committee of some examples that that we've done that may not be transparency on a daily basis, but it's transparent in a way that it lets them understand some of the challenges and competing goals that that we have. So um, we are currently in the midst of. Um, and, and you'll feel for me, hopefully, when I say this, we've lost seven admissions counselors in the last probably six weeks. Um, 
lost, not in necessarily a bad way. They they're pursuing other options um, professionally. They're, so they're they're deciding to leave firm and and and, and go do take on other uh, adventures. Um, and so we're in the midst of, of training a new staff. Okay, brand new admissions counselors. Um, seven of them. That's about two thirds of the staff um, from our counseling team on the front end and admissions. And getting them, for example, to understand what their role is, um, especially at a small private liberal arts college um, in the mid-market at a price point that is awfully high that competes with state flagships as their number one competitor. Um, and helping them understand, you know, they're, they're really focused now, for example, on where am I going to travel, if at all, this fall? Um, how do I log into Slate? You know, what in the world is financial aid? You know, those, those kinds of things, they're, they're very, you know, kind of all of those things that are right in front of them. Um, but they also need to understand that how they fit into the big, big picture. So sharing with them, honestly, the college operates on net tuition revenue. If we fail, the college fails. Now, that's a lot of pressure to put on, you know, a 23 or 24 year old first year admissions counselor. So we we, we kind of dilute that a little bit. But that's an example of transparency and how they need to understand that what they do on a daily basis when they're meeting with families, um, where they're responding to a college counselor, all of that matters. And it helps them understand where they fit in the big picture and create some some buy in and create some um, understanding of, of how important their, their job is. Um, a real quick second example would be um, sharing data might be with our faculty admissions committee, for example, or might be with even our cabinet, my colleagues on the cabinet, and sometimes even board members. And I'll give you an example that just happened this year. So really, firm, one of Furman's challenges is yield. Um, we have a robust applicant pool. We had a record number of applications this year. I'm sure a lot of other uh, of you listening did. Um, but our challenge was yield. And I've referenced our price point. I've referenced our position in the market and I've re referenced our competition. So our yield suffered this year. And one of the misconceptions is if you just get students on campus and provide them scholarship money, they'll enroll. Okay. Well, the first part of that we were, we were only able to do in a limited basis this year of get students on campus. And then, of course, due to the pandemic, everyone struggled in that capacity. But the second being scholarships, um, we offer for our full ride, full tuition in our basically three quarters tuition scholarships, um, we had less than a 10% yield on those award winners. So those, of course, are our students at the highest of the academic food chain in our applicant pool, in our admit pool, who certainly have options. And we were discounting them with, with significant scholarship um, and they didn't enroll. And so one of the exercises that I went through is I shared with other members on our campus, for example, the Duke Scholarship, which is our full tuition scholarship, if they chose, if they didn't choose to enroll at Foreman, where did they go? Some places were really strong, and some places places were maybe not so strong. And it gave our board, our 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 cabinet and faculty a pause a little bit. Say, wow, I cannot believe so and so chose name that institution over Furman, especially if we gave them a full ride. And it, and it goes to show them that it, it's, it goes back to that it takes a campus. It's not just scholarship. Um, it's not just a campus visit. It's the, it's the relationships and partnerships that they establish um, along the way. And now for a short break. 
Hey everyone, Jarrett here. You know, the past year has brought so many challenges for the higher education enrollment community. And if you're like many enrollment leaders, you're looking forward to being on the other side of census. So you can finally step back and think about your strategy for the upcoming year. That's why Jeff Calais and I will be hosting Post Up, a free four-part webinar series for enrollment leaders starting September 29th. From search to yield to campus visits, Jeff and I will engage with Echo Delta's enrollment experts to help you come back even stronger and smarter than before. Visit echodelta.co slash postup to register. That's echodelta.co slash postup, all one word. I hope you'll join us. And now back to the show. If somebody's listening to this and they say, okay, Brad said transparency was good. Uh, I'm going to start being more transparent with folks. I guess my question is, how might someone sort of take that advice and maybe go wrong with it? What are some guardrails you might put around that so that you're being transparent in the right right ways that are going to be productive for your relationships? Yeah, and throw in there, you know, I keep thinking about this this two-thirds of the staff that you've just replaced, which is not unusual. Um, it's a few more than usual, but that we, we, as enrollment people, are used to losing a lot of our, our young folks. So for good things, usually. But, um, but you know, you, you want to get everybody on the, the same page so they're being appropriately transparent, as, as Jarrett was just saying. So roll that in there, <laughs> Brad, how do you, and it could be for some of those facts, is it their first job, you know, and, and do they have the, um, oh, I don't know, uh, do they, they know what to say and what not to say? I mean, that's, that's got to be scary, right? <laughs> Th- thank you for that additional commentary, because with... With transparency comes um, a whole lot of trust, and and you need to have confidence in your staff as well about when they understand to share information and and when not to. And I can give you countless examples of um, of times in which I wanted to be a little bit more transparent and couldn't, and maybe a time or two when I was a little too transparent and had to backpedal a little bit. So. Um, you really need to know your audience. You need to know who you're providing information to. And, and for those listening on, on the podcast, um, I would venture to say you pretty well know that. There's, there's times that you can be pretty an open book. And, and maybe that's smaller settings. Maybe that's colleagues on campus amongst the cabinet. Um, when you can truly say, you know, here's the challenges. Here are the competing goals. Um, in front of faculty, you just have to take a different position. It doesn't mean that you can't be honest and it doesn't mean that you can't share um, reliable or tell the truth, for example. You just have to be understanding of your audience. And so, um, Laura, the, the staff, for example, is a good one. And I, and I joke with them that when you meet with a family, I don't want you thinking about net tuition revenue. And if I don't get this student to enroll that, you know, somebody's gonna lose their job, you know? That might be the big, big picture of we miss our class. People might lose their job just in, in, in the way that the financials work on a, on a college campus. But that's an example of, of let's I want you to understand the big picture, but I don't want that to necessarily influence how you go about your, your daily operation. So um, let me Jerry, let me see if I can give you like a, 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 a really good concrete example. So one of the things that our faculty like to think they have power over is who we admit. Okay. 
um, in our faculty constitution and in our faculty bylaws, they in fact have the ability to set admission standards. But a lot of times faculty think that that's who we admit and who we deny on an applicant basis. Um, that's not necessarily the case. The case is they have the ability to set the parameters of who, of who we admit based on the curriculum that they've earned in high school. Um, this would serve as an example of providing both some transparent information and also backpedaling rather quickly on, on both sides. Um, at one point, I thought it was a good idea to invite them into the application review process. Um, and this would be specifically with the faculty admissions committee. Um, they began to backpedal rather quickly after I shared with them our timeline, our guidelines, the volume and the amount and the time in which they would need to evaluate or, or be with us as we were evaluating this process. Um, the, the part of that that gets a little bit dicey, for example, is faculty don't always understand that we are receiving a segment of the overall population. All college going students are applying to college in one enrollment cycle. And we are getting a very, very, very small segment percentage of that, of that overall going population. So, and a lot of times you have to review these applications within that context um, that you can't compare our applicant pool to an Ivy League, uh, maybe where you graduated from. And you certainly then can't compare our applicant pool to a, to, um, a school maybe ranked lower than you. You have to understand those pressures and, and how, how things fit within your overall enrollment cycle. There's, there's tons of data, financial data, um, parent occupation, um, education attainment that are all signals of affinity and yield that, that play into our decisions that we don't get into um, with, with, with certain segments for the faculty, for example. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question specifically, but I think the key there is understanding your audience and knowing and trusting when you can be very transparent and when you might need to curb that just a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, Brad, one thing as I was listening to you talk though, is like, I, it seems like there was good utility in pulling back the curtain a little bit, like it was beneficial for you to pull back the curtain a little bit and to say, Hey, let me invite you into this process and you can see how it actually works and, and realize there's more to it than maybe it looks like on the outside. Is that fair to say? Well, sure. I mean, and, and maybe I'll get a chuckle from those that are listening when I say this, but um, everybody is an admissions professional and everybody's a marketing professional um, as, until they actually sit in that seat and, and do it. Um, what do you mean you can't get 700 kids to come to Furman every year? Look at this place. Well, you know, they, they don't understand all of the complexity that goes into it, the competing goals, the competing priorities, who we're competing with, um, our price point. Those are all factors that someone on the outside looking in who may have wonderfully good intentions doesn't understand why a student wouldn't say yes to Furman. And the reality is about 15% of our students say yes to Furman, which means we have to admit more. And when they, when they begin to do the math and they see how things work, on top of then, um, I go back to those foundational pieces. If you're not buttoned up and in, in being uh, effective, efficient with your practices and in how you do things, if you're vulnerable there, it's more difficult to be transparent, but if you're if you're buttoned up and you're efficient in what you do, you can kind of seek some advice and, and wisdom, and, and maybe sometimes some 
some um, some understanding from from those who understand, you know, who, who begin to realize how difficult this work is. Did you inherit those processes that were just really in place beautifully, or was it a little bit more hard hard fought for you? Um, I would say at Furman, um, it was kind of it was probably right in the middle. Um, we did some things really well, and um, we did some things that we had to work on, and just. You know, I, I remember inheriting basically a 50% admit rate and a, and a 33% yield. Um, it was consistent. It was, you could bank on it. If you looked at the data leading up to uh, 2008 and then that entering class of 2009. And, and fortunate for me, my first class was that financial recession when I didn't have a 50% yield and certainly did not have a 33%, or excuse me, a 33% yield. Um, so there were some things that were running really well, but I would say that the, some of our enrollment um, tactics were a little, um, little lazy. Um, we, we weren't maybe working as hard as we could have been. Um, and, and if you think back to, to 08, 09, and 10, that recession really challenged um, a, lot of, a lot of schools, very similar to some of the challenges we're facing now. And uh, we had to learn how to recruit, to be honest with you, how to, um, uh, you know, emphasize value, even even a campus tour, for example, we weren't selling at our price point. Um, We certainly didn't have our faculty involved like we do now. We weren't leveraging athletics like we are now. So we had some good things in place, but um, we've had to really implement some new strategies and and new new tactics. So just kind of rounding out our faculty conversation, because I know we've kind of touched on them a couple of times. I'm curious, just some of the practices you have in place today to kind of build those strong connections in with faculty and, and to bring them into your, your process. Because as you said, it takes, it takes an entire campus to, to recruit and retain these students. So what sorts of things are you doing on the faculty side of the house? Yeah, we, we've gone from begging to have faculty involved to um, being much more strategic in how we include and involve our faculty. Um, There's absolutely a climate on campus now of how can we help. Um, For the longest time, um, sharing data at faculty meetings with a faculty admissions committee, with the provost, um, with academic affairs, that yield doubles when students interact with faculty, period. We had a 51% yield for students when they were on campus who had a class meeting or a faculty appointment. And then it was like 22% for those who didn't. So that simple nugget of of data um, really was the impetus for us to, to, to get our faculty involved. Honestly, we're at a point now of how do we get the right faculty involved and how do we use them in the correct ways? Um, from the perspective of being resourceful with their time. We don't want to waste their time. So we don't, we don't just let fact, you know, prospective students, you know, say they want a faculty appointment because most of the time it's mom filling out the, the campus visit questionnaire and the students, the last thing the student wants to do. And then that person just sits there or they, they, they say they're going to meeting they get in the car and they go. And then the faculty meetings like, wait, or the faculty members like, you know, they didn't show up and it's a, it's a, it's a waste of time. So we're very intentional in how and when and where we use faculty. 
Um, we've incorporated our students a lot more in the process in some of those situations, especially for rising sophomores, juniors, and pre-applicants. And then we really reserve our, 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 our faculty time for, for students who have applied. Um, we're at a, a stage now where we, we basically have a faculty liaison for every academic department and every major. All right, so if a student, an applicant says, I would like to meet with a professor in psychology, we've established a relationship with psychologists say, who is our go-to person? Um, who do we send this person to or who do we send this meeting request to? Um, our provost and um, our, our academic affairs are instrumental in that. If we begin to have a department lagging, it's not us necessarily, the admissions enrollment office going to that department. And we simply say to the provost, hey, you know, I'm having a little trouble with name the, 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 the program and the provost at the time will, will, will make sure that happens. Um, I've been pushing for faculty recognition uh, for those who are overly involved as part of tenure and promotion. Um, I've not been successful yet in that point, but we continue uh, to emphasize how important that faculty interaction is. And you can link it to athletics. You know, a, a recruit who is, you know, wants to go play volleyball isn't going to choose a volleyball program when they've not met the head coach. Um, and very similar, you know, if a student wants to major in psychology, they want to, you know, meet a psychology major. They want to talk to a psychology professor. The admissions office can go so far, but at some point they want to know who's going to be my advisor, who's going to be teaching me, who's going to be mentoring me, who am I going to be able to lean on? And again, at our price point in the market, it's, it's essential that we do that. Yeah. Hey, speaking of, of athletics, I'd love for you to talk about um, maybe some of your tips, some of your, your things that you've learned about developing relationships with coaches, because they are, they're, they're just, a, they're very competitive. They're a different sort of group of people to, to work with. And, and sometimes I know in my career, I found that I was sort of at odds with, with my goals were different than theirs. Let's just put it that way. So it's, it can be a tricky one, but I know it's something you've done well. Could you talk to that just a little bit? I'd be happy to. And I think we could do a whole podcast on, on coaches and athletic, rec <laughs> athletic right. recruitment. And, um, I'll write know, that I, down. I That's our follow-up. <laughs> there you go. You know, and, and being a former student athlete myself, I, I tell the coaches all the time, like, look, Probably the only person on campus that wants to win more than me is, is you in, in your particular sport. So um, we're not in the business of not recruiting kids, you know. And, and so I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it, it's it's trust and it's relationships. They, they need to understand that we're all in this thing together. Um, Wittenberg was Division three, and my approach at the Division three level um, was remarkably different than what it is right now at, at, at Furman being a division one school. Um, division three coaches are, are, are much more an extension of the admissions office. Um, a lot of division three schools, um, and I would even say Wittenberg included at this point, are using athletics as an enrollment strategy. Um, division three schools often have many more sports than division one programs. And they're using that um, as a way in which to, to garner enrollment. So at the division three model, it was reining coaches in a little bit. 
making sure that they're not overstepping their boundaries, um, walking into high schools when they shouldn't be walking into high schools, going off script with marketing materials, creating their own marketing materials, um, whatever it may be. And, and so reining the coaches in on a D3 level and, and making sure they're in alignment with what we're trying to, to accomplish um, as an institution um, was, was one of those key things. Um, at a division one school, it's all about who can we get them, who they, they, who can we get in, you know, who can we offer, who, who, who's allowed to sign this, the scholarship agreement, you know, th those types of things. And, um, and because volume is different at a division one school versus a division three school, I didn't necessarily, um, anticipate that coming in, but, um, the, the volume of athletic recruitment is much smaller at a division one school than it is a division three school. Um, so working with those coaches to basically ensure that one, they're on budget. Do you have, do you in fact have the scholarship that you are um, expecting that happens to, to kind of follow under my purview here now um, Two, does the student meet enrollment standards? Okay. And three, being at division one, um, we're kind of, we're so kind of kind of a subset. It's not power five. So that it's not quite as intensive as it would be at some power five institutions. Um, but the athletic timeline is much different than a traditional admissions timeline. So being able to work with coaches to be ahead of schedule, if you will, for application deadlines, notification deadlines, those types of things. Um, but coaches need parameters. And what I've learned with them is they just simply want to know what are the rules of the game, you know, and that shouldn't surprise you as a coach, you know, that they're, they're coaches. They want to develop a strategy to win and just tell me the rules. What are the rules? Um, and then they're going to develop a strategy and leverage that to, to be competitive. And, and sometimes it's like, Oh, okay. That's now a new rule. You can't do that. Um, <laughs> um, and as far as with, with what they're doing, but um for the most part here, our coaches understand that those parameters are in place for student success. They, they don't want to recruit someone who's going to struggle or, or, or be a challenge. That's only going to lead to additional challenges. Brad, you mentioned, you know, kind of cultivating the sense of, hey, we're all in this together and building that kind of trust. Part of that, I think you kind of addressed and saying, well, I, I recognize they want clear rules to the game. And so I can help them with that. So they kind of understand the, how they can be successful. And I'm curious, is there anything else that you would kind of point to, to say, this is a way that I kind of intentionally use to build trust, uh, in kind of alignment with my coaches? I, I am routinely, uh, either, either myself or our director of admissions are, we're routinely, um, in front of them before they go out on recruiting trips um, or the recruiting season, um, helping them understand what are our priorities, what are we trying to accomplish, and here, how can you help us? Um, they don't always think that way. Uh, they don't always think in a way of they, they think by, you know, just winning games, they're helping us, and of course, that, that does help, but there are ways in which they can help us, and, and let me give you an example. Furman is trying to really expand its recruiting footprint, even prior to, you know, COVID has hurt this, but beyond the Southeast, about 60% of our enrollment comes from North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. So we were openly trying to develop new markets. And one of the best way to do that is athletics. 
Um, so for example, the Mid-Atlantic or Northeast, asking those coaches to align their recruiting strategies with our recruiting strategies. Okay. Don't just recruit in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. Branch out and help us. Um, we are a Division One football program, and we play the quote-unquote money game every year. Let's not play Georgia, South Carolina, and Clemson every year. How about we go play UVA? Or let's go play Rutgers, or let's go play, you know, University of Maryland in some of our strategic markets. Um, that's an example that it can't be just the admissions office and, and working with our coaches to help them understand um, how they can help us. Going back to transparency, we work off of um, certain parameters and who we want to admit and how we admit and making sure that they have clear understanding of, of who's admissible and who's not. Um, the rule of thumb there is coaches should not be evaluating transcripts. Okay. Um, at one point, we kind of were very clear in, you know, what we were looking for in a GPA and coaches don't understand core academic GPA. They don't understand AP and IB, IB and college prep, nor should they necessarily. And so coaches would hand us transcripts with a, you know, a 3.8. But when you look at it, it's, it's not necessarily the curriculum, um, strength of curriculum that we're looking for. And when you recalculate a core GPA, it's really a 2.5 when you remove certain classes. Um, so those, those would be some things that, um, that we've put into place that we've given them the rules of the game, but we've also helped them understand, you know, how they can help us by routinely being involved with them, meeting with them. Um, we're fine to meet with recruits and, and run them through the admissions process. Um, you know, those types of things where it's a partnership. So I, I would love to talk about, you know, colleagues in other areas of the campus. I've heard you talk in the past about campus safety or other folks kind of playing a role in this. I, I haven't asked also if like marketing, do they report up to you or the, that's just wondering if you could kind of speak to some of those other important relationships outside of faculty and athletics and Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, I, we maybe mentioned it a little bit already that, you know, staff tend to be one of those um, partners with some of those partners on campus that that don't get recognized often as, as much as, as they should. Um, marketing does not report to through the enrollment division. Um, there are they are certainly involved heavily in what we do, um, but there's not a direct reporting line to us for that. But when you think about marketing and you think about development, um, you know, we're very intentional in those relationships and just little things that, that we do. Um, certainly, for example, everyone knows that May 1st is the national candidate reply date. And, and we get, you know, good luck and thumbs up and people will send us donuts on those days and, you know, those kinds of things. And especially at a place, an enrollment driven institution, which most of us are. May 1st, you're, you're either celebrating or you're not celebrating, okay? Um, and so people recognize that, but we, we, we try to do the same thing, for example, like with development. If they are um, at the end of a particular campaign or we're at the end of the fiscal year when gifts tend to be flying in or I'm really good friends with our chief um, investment officer, and when I know it's the end of the fiscal year and it's, it's their long hours that, you know, I'll go put a six pack on his, on his car door, you know, buy his car and say, you know, go home or, you know, something like that to at least recognize that other people, other offices have priorities and deadlines that may not be as visible 
and and large, if you will, as as did we get the class or not, um, and just acknowledging those um, is is really really important. Um, our our police division and our facilities people are huge. Um, you know, it's routine for our for our uh, Furman police to recognize that a campus visitor with New Jersey license plate is is driving down the wrong way of a one way street, you know, trying to find the welcome center. And instead of going lights and sirens and flashing and pulling them over and, you know, the whole thing, uh, we kind of they try to get their attention and, you know, figure out who they are and, and get them to the right spot. You know, those those things go a, a really long way. And, and, you know, we just like our faculty, our coaches, we're in front of those people. You have to they have to understand where they fit, just like a brand new admissions counselor. Um, our facilities staff um, now will not do anything to this campus without checking with our office first. Um, I'm looking outside my window right now and they're redoing our fountain. Um, the big, the big fountain that people see when when people come in, and the the pipes had rusted, and it's a three week project. And I must have gotten fifteen emails on this. So when is the best time to do it? Here's how long it's going to take. Um, you know, we're very sorry for this inconvenience. Winter admissions visitor is going to be kind of low. Um, all those kinds of things. Um, that takes time. Um, it wasn't all that long ago on one of our orientation days in our biggest auditorium, they were re-roofing, they were doing the roof on the auditorium in which we were doing student orientation. Come on, we, we can't be doing that. Um, you know, and, and so we, we've gotten to the point where um, they won't mow the yard in front of the welcome center after eight o'clock in the morning for fear that a family might be early. You know, those types of things that we've developed that all in buy-in, if you will, as far as, as working with our staff. And there's all of those stories about um, the dining hall person who's, who's instrumental in your relationship and just saying thank you to them, you know, giving them a, fir a firm and t-shirt or some of the, all of the giveaway stuff that we have. We're, we're very open and, and providing thank yous um, to the campus for their involvement. You know, if I could jump in, one theme that just kind of pops out across all these different groups that you're talking about is this idea of just sharing, showing respect for and gratitude for the contributions that other people are making that impact you. Or maybe even if they don't impact you, but just recognizing the contributions of others and and demonstrating that. And then it maybe not always, but it it sounds like it tends to be reciprocated when you're giving that out. You know, that's it, an interesting, I, I appreciate you making those, those connections because it's, it's a little bit of a vulnerable position to be in, you know, at the end of the day, we are, we're responding, we being in the admissions office or enrollment is responsible for whatever headcount we want with a certain characteristic at a certain discount, bringing in a certain amount of revenue we're individually responsible for that. If we miss or make it, nobody else is, is responsible other than this office. However, we cannot do it by ourselves. Um, and so we have to accept that responsibility. But if we try to insulate and only do it ourselves, there's no way you can accomplish it. So you have to open yourself up and be vulnerable to allowing other people in who aren't necessarily accountable, but you need them to be successful. That makes me think of uh, your community. So you're in a smallish town. 
smallish, medium sized, and mm-hmm. it's a great it's a great town. And and you've got some um, international companies nearby. You've got a some other big universities down the road. Do you, do you ever find yourself um, feeling like you want to connect with people in the community and say, you know, I'm going to send my prospective students and their parents to your <laughs> restaurant. You you all better be nice to them. Um, does this does this uh, does this branch out into the oh, community absolutely. at all? Yeah. It does. It really does. And, you know, Greenville, we sit just a few miles north of Greenville, um, which is, um, depending on who you ask, the fastest growing city east of the Mississippi. Um, that we're, we're about an hour and a half south of Charlotte and about two hours north of Atlanta. It's called the Charlanta Corridor. I've never heard that. Um, it's a, <laughs> That's it's awesome. Charlanta, Charlanta Corridor, um, I-85. That's okay. We have Orlampa down here. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Super you catchy. Go. I think yeah. I have cousins with those names. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. If we start to see uh, children coming through with Sarlanta or Lampa, we know we've, we've made, we've That's made an right. impact, right? That's right. <laughs> um, but we do, we, we do leverage um, our location um, heavily and, um, we are intentional in hosting some events in downtown Greenville. Um, we do have relationships um, with restaurants, hotels, um, particular meeting spaces that we meet with. And, you know, for example, um, the owner of the Greenville Drive, who are the, they're now the AAA affiliate um, for the Red Sox, um, is a huge firm and supporter. And we do all types of events um, in the drive stadium, either during games or even just using the event space when games are not going on and using their video board and, and those types of things. And um, so, so yes, that's important. You know, when you're, when, when students are, are in families are making a decision um, the surrounding area is critical, whether that's for outcomes of internships and research and, and uh, employment opportunities, but, even just for some fun and, and places to, to engage. And for some of our, our competitors and peers, having a more um, urban setting right down the road is, is, is huge for us, um, where, where some of the schools that we compete with cannot offer that. Um, Clemson, for example, is in, intruding on our space a little bit. I don't know if I have any Clemson <laughs> listeners, but they're trying to make Greenville Orangeville. No, and uh, it's a little bit of it's a little bit of a David versus Goliath fight when we're trying to retain um, Greenville as Furman's um, home, um, as that power of orange is is huge. But um, even even some of our our, our uh, peers and competitors who are uh, in close proximity to us understand um, what we have here uh, with Greenville. Brad, it's been such a, a good conversation. You've had uh, just some really interesting, I think, valuable things to say. I want to ask you one last question, which is I, I know that you are a second generation uh, enrollment and admissions guy. And I'm just curious, you know, uh, your dad was in the business before you. And I, I'm just wondering, are there any lessons, things that you picked up from your dad along the way that you find yourself applying today? Sure. Well, thank you for, for recognizing that and, and uh, mentioning that. Yeah, my dad uh, was 41 years in, in college admissions and, and financial aid. 
um, serving a multitude of institutions, finally uh, ended his career at Spring Hill College um, down in Mobile, Alabama. And, and growing up on a college campus um, was, at the time, I didn't necessarily realize it, but was really uh, a unique opportunity. And I'm, I'd like to think I'm providing that same experience to my two boys who are 12 and 7, who for good or bad are widely known on this campus. I would love to think it's always for the good, but they are widely known across this campus, whether it be at basketball games or camps or, or whatever. Um, the, the, uh, the, the experience that we're able, that I had growing up as well as they're having um, is instrumental. Um, that my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but you know, there were multiple, multiple conversations that we had um, and I think about May 1 conversations or uh, conversations leading up to May 1st or uh, frustrations that I that I was um, sharing with him and, and, and words of wisdom that he provided. And he used to always say, don't let them get to you. Put on a nice suit and don't let them get to you. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 then there's a lot to be said for that of, of just being confident um, and again, I think in some ways my transparency um, and, and just the way I deal with people um, and establishing rapport certainly um, were some of the things that he did. And, and watching him and learning from him, I didn't necessarily realize I was learning, you know, how, how to do this. And, and, and I joke all the time, I didn't grow up necessarily wanting to be in admissions and financial aid. It just, it just kind of happened. Um, but as the more the longer I do this, I see why he was able to do 41 years. This, this is great work. Um, you know, it can be stressful and it can be sometimes overwhelming. But at the end of the day, we get the opportunity to work with students and their families every single day who are making life changing decisions. Um, that's pretty cool. You know, there, I don't know if there's a whole lot of people that get to do that every single year. The investment that families are making. Um, the decision that they're being asked to make and the role that we play um, is a pretty cool thing. And, and I think that's what um, had him in the business for so long and, um, you know, has, has now for me finishing year 20, um, gosh, finishing year 20 um, is, is crazy. But um, I owe a lot to both of my parents, but in particular, my father, who, um, who was able to do this job for a really long time. That is uh, uh, really beautiful, Brad, and thank you for sharing that. If folks are listening to this and maybe want to reach out and connect with you, I don't know if you're available on various social media channels, if you have any sort of active digital presence or if there's a good way for people to connect with you, but any, any preferred ways they might do that? Sure. Um, you know, of course, the, 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 the old way of email and phone is obviously perfectly fine. And I, I'd be happy to share that and those things here. Um, I do kind of uh, uh, have an activity on, on LinkedIn. Um, I am on all those different social media stuff, but um, probably the best way would be LinkedIn um, and email, which is just Brad, B-R-A-D uh, dot Pochard, P-O-C-H-A-R-D at Furman dot E-D-U. Uh, happy to chat and uh, amongst um, any of these topics or, or others. And I'm sure there's, there's some two-way dialogue that I'd be happy to have. Well, you're doing this right. You're doing this right. I, I'm, I'm, I admire you very much for the work that you've done there. It's really impressive. Well, Laura, you're with, with your background too. That means a lot. I appreciate that for sure. And um, you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's great work. I enjoy it. Um, and I feel fortunate to be able to, to be doing what I'm doing. Well, Brad, thank you so much for your time today. It has been a real pleasure talking with you. 
Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thanks, guys. The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full-service enrollment marketing agency for colleges and universities of all sizes. To see some of the work we've done and how we've helped schools just like yours, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, if you have a comment, question, suggestion, or episode idea, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co.